we're seeing all these phenomenal international agreements and more and more people caring than ever before. Yeah, people want to help. People are trying to help. There's more and more resources. There's more and more knowledge. There's more and more political will. Um, so absolutely, I'm optimistic about this. And I think we, it's not too late to stop the worst of this from happening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pelicanus. Pelicanus is a nonprofit organization focused on sharing the movement that is and has been happening in the conservation field. Now, this is Conservation Conversations, our long-form documentary-style show that highlights the people and organizations that are making it their purpose to grow the conservation field and to show that people have, and still are, making monumental differences in our world with intentional change. Head over to pelicanus.org to find all of our episodes and more. On this episode of Conservation Conversations, we talk with David Schiffman, marine conservation biologist and science communicator, and author of the book, Why Sharks Matter. We talk with David about, well, sharks, why they're awesome, some interesting facts about them, why they're important, and most importantly, how you can get involved with shark conservation. Find and follow him on social media at Why Sharks Matter. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy our conversation with David. David, thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy to have you on and, and talk about sharks. Thanks for having me, Austin. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. So if you don't mind, uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody who you are and what you do. Sure. I am Dr. David Schiffman. I am an interdisciplinary marine conservation biologist, and I'm a faculty research associate at Arizona State University. I study sharks and public perception of sharks and how to protect them. And I'm the author of a new book about this called Why Sharks Matter. We have a copy of it right here. Excellent. I, so we just, I just finished this a few days ago, as, as I mentioned uh, to you uh, earlier. I really enjoyed it. I actually started, uh, I went to the University of San Diego, and I started in, their focus is marine biology. Uh, and I, I made the switch afterwards just because it's a lot easier to find a job. <laughs> but uh, I still find it so, so interesting. And so I'm, I'm so excited about talking about sharks. Uh, I've, I always joke that I'm just naturally attracted to anything that can kill and eat things with its face. <laughs> and so that's what draws me to sharks. <laughs> um, but if you don't mind, can you start off with uh, just the, just talk about sharks uh, in general. Just what is it about sharks that got you into it? And, and, you know, we can get into some basic shark biology after that. Sure. So I've been interested in sharks as long as my family can remember. There are pictures of me at three and four years old with toy sharks and shark t-shirts and things like that. I feel like a lot of kids go through a shark thing or a dinosaur thing, and I just sort of never grew out of my shark thing. But sharks are amazing. Uh, they have all these incredible behaviors. They're unbelievably biodiverse. The smallest one is smaller than your arm. The biggest one is bigger than a school bus. Uh, some live under Arctic ice. Some live in the deep sea where it's so dark that sunlight never reaches. Some live in coral reefs. Uh, some are striped. Some are spotted. Uh, they're just an unbelievably cool and different group of animals. And there's new and cool stuff being learned all the time. And they're ancient. That was one thing I remembered like reading your book was, was just remembering that, yeah, I think it's the Greenland shark. Yeah, so, so Greenland sharks are the longest-lived vertebrate. They can live to be over 400 years old. And that's crazy, right? The previ blowing previous record of the bowhead whale out of the water. 
Um, and sharks as a group, there were sharks swimming in the ocean, not only before there were dinosaurs on land, but before there were trees on land. So we've had sharks for a really long time, which makes some of their current conservation challenges all the more tragic. How would you describe a shark? In terms of um, the biology of them, like I, I know there's like some really interesting reproduction um, strategy that they have. They're fish, but they don't have bones. Like, <laughs> yeah. can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So sharks are fish, uh, but they are different from something like a goldfish or a tuna or a largemouth bass that people might be more familiar with. Those latter ones, their skeletons are made of bone, just like ours, just like a bird, just like your dog. But sharks and their relatives don't have bones. Their skeletons are made out of cartilage. So they're called the cartilaginous fishes. That's sharks and their relatives, the skates, the rays, and the chimeras. Uh, so they, all, they also have some other distinguishing features from other groups of fish. They don't have a swim bladder, which is a gas-filled organ that helps other fish with their buoyancy. Instead, they have huge livers that are filled with oil. And oil is lighter than water, so that help makes, helps make them buoyant. Uh, they also have this whole other sense that most animals don't have, which is an electro the ability to sense electromagnetic fields. So if they have a prey animal that's hiding under sand or mud, where if we can't see it or hear it or smell it, they know it's there because they can sense the electricity given off by its beating heart. I find that fact insane. And so, so that this is one thing I always re remembered from college. I don't know why, but the, that term stuck with me and I can't get it out of my head. And I actually did get a question right on a pub trivia once, the ampullae <laughs> of Lorenzini. I just, well, I don't know why, but it's like the one thing I remember from college. <laughs> it's a bad organ. It, the, in some sharks, doesn't that also help with navigation throughout like the, the entire uh, uh, ocean, right? Because I know some sharks travel thousands and thousands of miles, right? Doesn't that help with their navigation? Yes, so some sharks are able to use the Earth's magnetic field as a way to navigate themselves which is important because there's no uh, there's no street signs in the open ocean. There's no landmarks. How do they know where they're going? Well, they, they use the Earth's magnetic field. I forgot the fact that they could also detect their prey, you know, under a rock or in the sand. Um, but then the other thing that I wanted to kind of just interesting fact about sharks is some of them have live, technically they're not, technically they're not live births, right? But they do have... Oh, there are some that are definitely live births. Yeah, sharks have a really amazing diversity of reproductive styles. Some give live birth basically just like mammals. Some lay eggs basically just like birds or some, or, or some reptiles. Some have a weird mix of that that's sort of halfway in between, which is what I think you're, you're alluding to there. And there's everything in between. So it's a, it's a really incredible and weird and different uh, answer to where do baby sharks come from. And do you think that's because of just their, their, they have a, such a long lineage that goes so far back that they've had that time to diversify? It's whenever you get questions like, why does an animal have this weird thing? Why questions are really hard to answer from an evolutionary perspective, but it just generally probably has to just do with they've been around a long time and they've adapted to a lot of different conditions. They've experimented with a lot of different things. And uh, that leads to a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different solutions to how should we survive in this crazy world? I guess to talk about the, again, why sharks matter. <laughs> what role can sharks play in ecosystems? I, I, I love the love the chapter or the section about um, trophic cascades. You know, 
the, the, and fear ecology. I love that term, fear ecology. Isn't if I could wild? go back, I'd, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be a fear ecologist just because it sounds cool. <laughs> Please just talk about what role sharks can play in ecosystems. Sure. So generally speaking, predators help keep the food web in balance. They eat prey. They keep prey populations from growing out of control. And that is extremely ecologically important. There's something called top-down control in ecology. And that is basically predators play important roles in the structure and function of an ecosystem. Um, in, in terms of this fear ecology stuff, this is, this is wild. I love this stuff. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And that is the mere presence or possible presence of predators causes prey to change their behavior on, in a large-scale way that can affect the whole structure and function in, of an ecosystem. Basically, they don't travel as far to forage if they think they might encounter a predator. And that leads to a lot of places that are essentially functionally protected from overgrazing because of the predators. What about the threats to sharks? Because we've talked about how they're, they're so important and we've talked about how, um, why they're so interesting and why, why people, why you and I love them. Um, but what are the, uh, threats like in terms of what, how, how come the, the shark numbers have gone so low over the last hundred, 200 years? It's, it's, it's really more recent than that. It's the last 30 or 40 years that these are animals that have been around for hundreds of millions of years. It's extra tragic. So a, th a third of all known species of sharks and their relatives are assessed as threatened with ex extinction by the IUCN Red List. And the number one threat by far is unsustainable overfishing. It's humans killing sharks with fishing gear. Sometimes that's on purpose to provide shark fins, which lots of people have heard of, and to provide shark meat, which, which lots of people have not heard of. Um, and sometimes it's accidental, and that is um, for things, things like um, bycatch, which some people may have heard of. That's when you accidentally catch something just because it's swimming near what you were trying to catch. Like, how, how much have sharks declined like can you off the top of your head kind of throw some numbers at us? Like... yeah there are some populations of some species that have declined by 90 90 percent or more in my lifetime and part of this is because of where baby sharks come from they they have this amazing diversity of reproductive styles but one thing that they uh, pretty much all share is they have this case selected life history and what that means is they have relatively few babies relatively infrequently relatively late in life. And that means that their populations just cannot bounce back very quickly from uh, overfishing pressure. Something like a tuna, they spawn, they release tens or hundreds of thousands of eggs into the water column. So even a relatively few tuna can make a lot of tuna pretty fast. That's not the case with sharks and their relatives. So any kind of conservation action to bring certain species back can just take a long, long time. Yes. And so we have, we've actually talked about that recently with uh, sea, uh, sea turtle conservation. There are certain areas, I think, on the um, uh, you know, southeast of the U.S. where some sea turtles, are, their populations are really starting to get bigger and bigger. And everyone's, you know, it, it's crazy to think that the only, the reason why that's happening is people put effort into it. And they started 30 years ago, 40 years ago. 
and it takes that long for turtles to become to, to, to reach sexual sexual uh, maturity and so all that effort finally is starting to pay off and that just kind of shows the dedication that it takes to really save these kinds of species. Yes, it takes it takes a really long time. One thing that I find especially fascinating from the sort of long-term planning perspective is dusky sharks. Uh, the the U.S. federal government has a rebuilding plan for dusky sharks that current that goes farther into the future than there's been a United States. So we're we're talking about centuries to rebuild these animals. And I, I just think it's very optimistic that the U.S. government is planning uh, centuries into the future. One thing that we definitely need to talk about is the the effort that you're putting in into trying to get people to know more about sharks. And I can't remember the quote, um, Wadi Room, I think it is, where it's... Uh, yeah, in the end, we will protect only what we love. We will love only what we understand, and we'll understand only what we're taught. Love that quote. Yeah, it's it's great, and and now you're you're trying the first two there, and then hopefully people will end up loving it. And so that what I want to talk about is that's a really difficult thing with sharks for whatever reason, and you could get into some of the reasons, but people just have this general fear, and they go, oh, "There's less sharks in the world." It's kind of like coyotes in the terrestrial world, like or wolves, sorry, not coyotes, uh, less and less wolves, people are like, good, I don't want to get eaten by a wolf, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's the same with sharks, so that's, that's a really uphill battle you're, you're, you're struggling with there is, is trying to change that, that mindset, so can you talk about how you, you're, you're trying to do that, and, uh, you know, what strategies you're using? Yes, yeah, so when a lot of people hear that a third of all species of sharks and their relatives are threatened with extinction, uh, or some species have declined by 90% or more, you get some people who say, good, sharks are scary, sharks are bad. And that's just not the case. They're, they're Not only are they not a threat to people, more people are bitten by other people on the New York subway every year than are bitten by sharks in the whole world. More people die falling off cliffs while trying to take selfies of the scenery behind them than are killed by sharks. But also, sharks are actively good. They help keep the food web in balance, and that's a really important role. Um, so... We need to protect these animals, and I've been doing a lot of public science engagement with this, both through the book and associated with the book. I just completed a 50-city international book tour uh, where I talked about this to thousands of people all over, all over the world. But I'm also very active on social media. I'm one of the most followed scientists in the world. I train other scientists how to do this, and it's at Why Sharks Matter on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I spend a lot of my time talking to people about this, this thing that you know about sharks is wrong. They're not dangerous. They're really cool. They're really important. Many species are in trouble and they need your help. And here's how we can help. I found, so that, I guess along these lines in, uh, in the book, in the, in the center, there's the, the, the images, I think it was plate. Yeah. Plate 14. The title is the respondents level of agreement with particular shark conservation and management policies. And it goes all the way from strict ban on uh, take for uh, threatened species, fishery quotas, um, time-restricted area closure, shark fin banning. It's all very, very strongly agree. Everyone, yes, we want that. Yes, yes, yes. Save sharks. Save, save uh, fish. Until you get to nationwide ban on commercial shark fishing. And then it's about half. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I, what I, don't, I don't understand that. 
Yeah. So a lot of a lot of my work is focusing on not only telling people that we need to save sharks, but stressing how, what works, what do we need to do, what what doesn't work, um, and there's a lot of reasons why certain tools, which you may have may have heard of because they're associated with slick environmental nonprofits with great messaging apparatus. Uh, you may have heard of these tools, but they're not especially popular among experts because we know they don't work or we know they, they're not necessary and are overly draconian and have various harms associated with them. So I've also done follow-up work to what you're referencing here. That's a survey of, of all the shark scientists in the English-speaking world. We found that 90% uh, say that the goal of protecting sharks should be making fisheries for sharks more sustainable, not banning all fishing for sharks. Um, when I asked the same question of the environmental nonprofit community, 78% said they prefer sustainable fisheries, not bans. So when you just say ban all fishing, what you're doing is you're saying, I would like for poor people who live in coastal communities to starve to death. And that can't be the solution. And it doesn't have to be. We know that sustainable fishing works. And we know there are some fisheries that can probably never be made sustainable. There are some species whose numbers are so threatened that they need special protections. But just saying no fishing for any sharks ever because I've heard some sharks are in trouble is not a science-based data-driven solution. That makes a lot of sense. And so can you talk about some of the policies either globally or here in the U.S. that um, have been set forward? You kind of talked about the um, dusky shark uh, policy. Um, can you talk a little more about examples of successful policies that, uh, you know, NGOs have pushed forward or, you know, international agreements, even national uh, uh, policies for, to, to save sharks that have uh, shown that they're actually working. Yeah, so we're starting to see population increases off the southeast coast of the United States, and that's as a result of our sustainable science-based fisheries management plans that were implemented in the mid-1990s. There are a few other places around the world as well. Um, there are so there are also a variety of newer plans that have been implemented, and it just takes a while to see an impact of those. Uh, there's something that just happened that I'm very excited about that it'll be years before we see any impact from it. But that is at a group, a, a international meeting called CITES, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species. Uh, there were some policies that were accepted. That essentially what that means is uh, we know uh, or all of the species that are most heavily involved in global shark fin trade now there's going to be requirements that the country that exports them needs to demonstrate with evidence that it comes from a sustainable well-managed fishery or it's illegal um, so we need to, we need to make sure that um, we help make these countries fisheries more sustainable if they want to do that or else the trade is going to shut down and either of those outcomes are better than wildly unsustainable uh, fishing and trade, which is what's happening now for a lot of species. I think uh, you and I know, and uh, you know, listeners may know, but those policies never start top down. It's never like a government going, you know what we should do? Let's save some sharks. It's always NGOs or community groups or, or scientists or the whole group that we're trying to highlight here pushing that from the bottom up saying hey these sharks are going away we need to do something about this so can you can you kind of share some of uh, your partners or some uh, organizations you've worked with that are doing uh, awesome work around the world 
Sure. So my book introduces readers to a variety of environmental nonprofit groups that I support and sort of explains their various different roles in the shark science and conservation uh, ecosystem. My go-to nonprofit that I can recommend unreservedly is called Shark Advocates International, which is sharkadvocates.org or at sharkadvocates on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and they do excellent work. They work closely with scientists. Uh, they make sure that evidence is used in arguments. Uh, they make sure that um, someone's there to speak up for sharks at all these meetings where that's possible. Sometimes uh, Sonia is the only person on the agenda who's speaking up pro-shark. So, And that's a small organization, so donations go a really long way. There are a lot of problematic organizations and activists in shark conservation space who either have no idea what they they're talking about and say nonsense or are willfully saying nonsense because it gets them social media attention and gets them donations siphoning off support from real organizations doing real good that could actually help and that's perhaps not great <laughs> no and so what kind of things can um, if people are really interested in you know get really interested in sharks because they read your book or listen to this Hopefully with people that listen to this also read your book, um, but what kind of things can people look out for that um, could maybe help them discern between a good organization versus a bad organization? Not to say bad, but like a you know different intentioned organization. Yes. Uh, do they cite sources and evidence? Do they talk about how they work with other groups? Or are they saying something like, uh, all the scientists in the world are evil and corrupt and stupid, only support us, uh, as you may hear in... Netflix sarcastic air quotes documentaries like Seaspiracy, which is a dumpster fire of lies and nonsense. Do they talk about anything beyond don't eat shark fin soup, which I'd be willing to bet most Americans are already not doing. And that's not the biggest threat to sharks and not the only threat to sharks. And lots of groups wrongly claim that it is. And that's not helpful. We, we, we've talked about the policies and, and efforts being made, made by NGOs. Uh, around the world to, to save sharks and create sustainable fisheries, all everything that's, that's that could that could help. Um, what can our viewers, listeners, do to help? Yeah. So the the single most effective thing that a regular consumer can do to help save the ocean is don't eat unsustainable seafood. Notice I didn't say you have to give up seafood entirely and become a vegan or the ocean is doomed because that's not true and that's not helpful because a lot of people just won't do that. But there are absolutely lots of fishing methods that have real environmental harms, and not supporting those is, a, is, is good. Uh, the Seafood Watch Guide is a great introductory tool for how to determine what seafood near you is sustainable. You can also follow me on Twitter uh, and Facebook and Instagram at Why Sharks Matter when there are times when we need people to send public comments in support of or against a particular policy. I share them. I work with a lot of great environmental nonprofit groups to help get their message out. Um, and I also call out when there's something going around that people are signing that say that uh, is not helpful. One example that drives me particularly nuts is there's all these change.org petitions on Facebook to ban shark finning. And one last year to ban shark finning in Florida got 60,000 people to sign it. We banned shark finning in Florida in 1993. So that is not a petition that can possibly do anything to help. And all it does is confuse people about what the threats are and what the solutions are and makes them think that they're doing something to help when they're not. And that's perhaps not good. You kind of mentioned at the beginning uh, that you've always been in, intrigued by sharks. 
uh, and you said that most most young people go into a phase of sharks, dinosaurs, those kinds of things. And when it comes to sharks, uh, what was it that made you uh, like that st- made you stick with it? I guess is the better way to ask that. Yeah, I, I'm just one of the lucky few who's really always known what they want to do, and it matches up with what I'm good at and what needs being done. Uh, that's not always going to be the case for everyone. And I, I spend a lot of time speaking in schools and I always tell people, it's okay if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up yet. Uh, you have time to figure that out. But I, I've really just always known. And I've sort of created a space for myself. There's been lots of people in my field since I was in college and before saying, we need someone who sort of knows this, but and knows, but also knows that and works at the intersection. And no one was doing that. So I started doing it and it's been working out great. Did the your love of sharks get you into conservation work or was did you always kind of have this conservation ethic? Did you just love sharks and go, oh, wow, there's some bad stuff going on here. I got to get a part of the way to help them. Yeah, the more I learned about sharks, the more I learned that they're not just super cool, but they really need our help. And we're better off with healthy shark populations than we are without them. And there's specific pieces of information that managers and environmentalists need scientists to provide. And there are specific things that we need the public to know. And uh, everything just sort of fell in place nicely and naturally. And so on that journey as a, as a child or maybe going into, you know, uh, college or after, was there, did you have any kind of um, role models or was it uh, like an inspiration, like, you know, the crocodile hunter kind of thing? <laughs> did you have those shows that you just loved that you like you had to, that you, that, that got you where you wanted to go? Oh, there there are plenty of uh, role models in this space. My role models have often been scientists. Jeannie Clark was a childhood hero. Uh, I actually just last year got to be sitting in the front row at a ceremony for her getting a U.S. postage stamp named after or, or in her honor. That's that was really cool. And my mom went with me to that. Uh, she's not a scientist, but her dad, my grandfather, was a postmaster, so she knows how cool it is for someone to get a stamp named after them. And that that was really fun. Um, there are a lot of problematic representations of my field on, in uh, entertainment and on TV. Um, every once in a while, I encounter a prospective student who says, no, I love Shark Week, and I want to be a scientist and do the stuff they do on Shark Week. That ain't science, friends. In some cases, I don't know what the heck it is, but it is uh, not what my typical day is like, I'll say. We try to focus on optimism. And so how does that kind of ethic or that mindset of optimism or hope or possibilism kind of guide you forward? Yeah, I mean, if if I didn't think it was possible to fix this stuff, I wouldn't be spending my time trying to fix it. We're seeing all these phenomenal international agreements and more and more people caring than ever before. Uh, There are very serious challenges that sharks are facing, and one of those tricky to solve challenges is people that sincerely want to help but don't have a clue what they're doing that need to be told to stand down and get out of the way that they're actually causing problems. But yeah, people want to help. People are trying to help. There's more and more resources. There's more and more knowledge. There's more and more political will. Um, So absolutely, I'm optimistic about this, and I think it's not too late to stop the worst of this from happening. And what, uh, what is it that you see, like in, you know, like you said, you've been on a book tour, you speak to uh, schools, I've seen the photo of you in a, in a shark suit. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm on shark suit that, number uh... two right now, uh, the first oh, one, okay. 
the one that's my official Amazon author photo is the official Katy Perry Left Shark one. And I, I uh, have donated that to an environmental nonprofit to use in uh, their school outreach when I was at a conference in Brazil. The one I have now is now the officially licensed Daddy Shark from the Baby Shark line. Uh, but yeah, I people, you know, I couldn't do a 50 city tour talking to thousands of people around the world if no one cared, no, if no one came, if no one bought tickets. People want to know about this stuff. And is that what gives you motivation to kind of keep doing it? Because, you know, I, I know how, how jaded and, and frustrating this field can be. So is, is it just the, the, the feedback you're getting from people and if, uh, that's kind of keeping you into it? I, I love this. I, I think it's important. I think I enjoy it. And I, I'm told I'm good at it. So as long as I can keep making a living while doing this stuff, I'll keep at it. I don't think anyone who wears a shark suit in public doesn't enjoy it. <laughs> I got the so a funny a quick funny story with that. So we I got that shark suit when I was a graduate student at the University of Miami's Marine Lab, and we had a Halloween party, and I wore a different costume, and people were saying, "Hey, what the heck? We assumed you'd be wearing your shark costume. We all saw that you got it," and I said, "Oh, I didn't get that for Halloween," and everyone just sort of went. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my everyday costume. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the beauty of what you do is, you know, because everyone says like, oh, we need to ban shark fishing. Oh, that's a good thing. I'll sign that. But like having someone like you on social media and have the book and the book tour and everything to kind of like, let's clarify things and let's actually focus on what can actually help sharks mm -hmm. rather than just like click a button and say, oh, yes, I signed this. That, that, I think that's, that's really, really great work that you do. Thank you. David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, I love the book, Why Sharks Matter. You can... Find it at your local bookstore. Um, it, everything you need to know about sharks is in here. If you want to go into further detail, there's you can reach out to, to David on social media. He'll probably answer all your questions. Um, and you follow him on social media. You said it was at Why Sharks Matter? Correct? At Why Sharks Matter on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Well, fantastic. Thank you again for, for joining us and all of the, uh, the great work you do for sharks. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to David for talking with us and for all the amazing work he does for sharks around the world. Please look for his book, Why Sharks Matter, at your local bookstore. And check out all of his stuff on social media at Why Sharks Matter. Host and producer for this episode is Austin Parker. Producer is Megan Schultz. Music was provided by A Picture Book Studios. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.